Welcome to Christians in the Public Square with your hosts, Cole Bennett and Scott Self. Hey, buddy. And now recording. Is that right? Are we on? We're on. There's the. Okay. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. I, uh, I may have to mute myself from time to time to go hack up my lungs, but um, I'll try to do it with my mute button on. Okay. I'm sure our listeners are better off hearing that. And- <laughs> Rather than the coughing, they can hear that. Are you suffering? It's it's springtime in in West Texas. That's not a fun season for anyone. No, but I, actually, cedar is passing. So as long as cedar goes away, I'm pretty good. So maybe it's coming your way. I'm excited today, Scott. I am too. This is uh, this is good rebuttal time, right? Well, rebuttal and maybe a third direction. You know, it doesn't hey. always have. To be- directions it can be a third direction i'm gonna um, introduce yeah, our guest introduce our guest i will but first let's talk about our tenants real quick i think okay. our i think our listeners probably know them but it's good to rehash them so you go ahead i've been doing it a while now all right first tenant is sacred cows make great barbecue that's we'll, right uh, scoff at orthodoxy whenever we wish but we'll still let our flags fly which is the second Tenant, yes, right? we'll argue our position as vigorously. Uh, we'll argue our position vigorously as long as we have it. <laughs> right. And I'm trying to change your position. So, <laughs> and number three, bros before politicos. It's right. the most important part. We're brothers first, and everything else is just details. Trying to keep the right hierarchical uh, things important, right? Yeah. So, you brought a brother with you. I did. I have a guest today. I'm excited to introduce. Uh, this is Jody Team. Say hi, Jody. Hello, everybody. And I, upon Jody's arrival, remembered after he reminded me that Jody was actually my student when I was a first year teacher at Abilene Christian. You're kidding. No. Oh, dude, I've got some questions, man. (laughs) (laughs) A little while ago, it's not over. What I remember. Wow. I was probably 20 pounds thinner and I wore more ties and had starch shirts and um, it was fun. But that funny when uh, Jody's wife, Rachel, works here as a member of the business faculty. Uh, psychology psychology fact she's not COVID. she's psychology and i remember when rachel was hired uh saying oh you were one of my students but i sure didn't remember jody so that tells you something doesn't it (laughs) yeah (laughs) that happens to me a lot actually (laughs) people remember rachel (laughs) well jody is a great person to have on our show after um we had on andy little jd last week last week and we we had a great discussion about corporations and corporate law and so forth and we wanted to have someone on who is in fact um a christian business person who works within a corporation as someone with added information now i didn't say rebuttal because i don't know that it's going to be a rebuttal but i wanted to have someone who works every day within those parameters. So uh, let's start. Jody, just tell us about your business and what the service that you provide the marketplace. And uh, then I'll ask you to talk about how you see yourself as a person who does that as a member of the faith. For sure. 
Um, so back in 2005, I started a financial planning firm called Team Financial Strategies. Um, it's, it sounds all, all great. Um, <laughs> but when I started, I was actually in our living room in Louisville working just at a at a small desk that we would also, you know, transitioned into uh, you know a room that we would have guests in at, at night. So it was a very small house, and and uh, just kind of got things going back in 2005. Um, I was very young, trying to just kind of go out and make it in an in an industry that um, I I think kind of getting to you know why I wanted to do it. Um, I had. A lot of friends at that time that were in their mid twenties that were trying to figure out finances, and um, I'd worked for a firm previously that was a wealth management firm, and and um, with that group, it was it was really hard. We couldn't have them on as clients, um, but I also knew from learning financial planning that um, if we do a lot of things right early on, that we can help their finances down the road, and so. I kind of built a business and working with with young families. And so now I've been doing that for about 17 years. And we have an office here in Abilene, have an office in Granbury. And um, we've grown with our clients. And then we've also added on a lot of clients over the years. And uh, so I kind of wear a lot of different hats now. Um, I, I've gone from just being solo practitioner uh, in, in the living room in Louisville, to being the CEO of the company, at times I've been the CCO of the company, which is the chief compliance officer. Um, and then we've got a number of advisors working with us that I, I try to be there for, mentor, help, and they kind of do the same back to me. Um, and then we have some admin staff as well. So are your services pretty comprehensive, like everything from budgeting your income to investing for retirement to additional investing, like the whole gamut? Yeah. So everybody, well, the advisors at our firm are either CFPs, Certified Financial Planners, or CPAs. And a big part of that is that we try to take everything into account and go in and go cash flow, um, investments, insurance, taxes, estate planning, um, all of the above. So I, I'm guessing that some of that is for like personal wealth, but but sometimes for uh, for some folks that bleeds over into kind of their owning their own businesses, right? Or how they would have to manage their own. Yes. Yeah. So a number of our clients are small business owners. Okay. Um, we also have some clients and just kind of listening to y'all's last uh, podcast, there's some crossover and then we have some clients that have gone from taking a small business to a bigger business and clients that have had their businesses go public or mm. um, some of the things that, you know, seeing that transition as it goes along. So if I opened a pizza shop or a bakery or my, my dream opening of a business would be one that combines um, espresso, coffee drinks, and gelato, which is which is a, a pretty common combination in other parts of the world. In Abilene, it's a little hard, but uh, that so you, I might look to you to say, "Hey, here's how to manage your revenues to put some back for you know contingencies." All the way up until I became really successful, where I opened up a huge chain of them. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Tell us how how does um how does your faith enter your job? Good, very good question. Um, I think from the get-go, part of the reason I started the firm was trying to figure out a career for myself that I could feel like I was serving in and that I had good opportunity to make money in for for my my needs and my family's needs. And um, so at the 
at the get-go, I really did feel like God was calling me to to start up this firm for people that had no money <laughs> and um, and try to build it with people that had no money. And um, when I went out and, and did that initially, there were, I would ask other advisors kind of for their advice on doing that, but it really didn't connect because there wasn't really anybody working with that group at that time. Um, and so it was, it was a number of years that the build for the firm took longer. Um, but actually I feel like I've gotten more reward out of that because I've been able to work with these people for a long time. So my, for, for me personally, in the relationships with the clients that I have in working with their, um, with, with helping them build wealth, um, it is, it is really a responsibility that I do feel like that, you know, God's given me this ability to work and hopefully provide something good back to these clients that, that makes a difference in their life. And so that's, that's kind of how the business was built. And now I'm trying to figure out how do I incorporate that with the other advisors in our firm and the, and everybody that works in our firm to say, Hey, this is, this is a mission as much as it is uh, a job. You know, I, I'm just listening to you as you explain that. And um, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it, I, I'm hearing you speak about earning money, building wealth, providing as positive things. These are things that are positive and in fact can have elements of security and even be related to how you exercise your faith. And is that right? Yes. Yeah. And I've heard, you know, I'll probably all six of our listeners have heard of Dave Ramsey. And I know that I've listened to him some, and I know that he, one of the main things that he talks about as you build wealth is the ability to give more. And, you know, I don't know him personally or anything, but I've always been struck by that part of his rhetoric, um, not to build wealth, to make sure that you always have bigger barns, but also that you can give away more. And I've, that's always been an element that I have been impressed with. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, in our industry, it's always, there's a constant struggle. And I think every human has this with money. It's, it is a constant struggle of trying to keep that perspective of the things that I have. And even when I'm trying to get more, what is my reasoning for doing that? Where, you know, where's that coming from? And am I letting money start to control uh, my, me and the, the things that are going on? Or um, am I trying to keep the perspective that all of this is God's and I'm trying to do something well with hmm. it? So. Okay. Well, let's get down to some hearts of matters. I'm going to actually put words in Scott's mouth. So Scott, listen carefully to make sure I articulate your position. Um, accurately. Okay. Hey, Jody, I'm going to ask you, I, I'm assuming you started out as a sole proprietor. That's true. And then you moved to a corporate, a corporation. Yes. Okay. Now, Scott and I have had many discussions, both on this podcast and in my living room, as he's drinking my coffee and sitting on my furniture, <laughs> using my air conditioning, uh, he <laughs> about corporate laws and uh, I am my my position is extremely simple to articulate. I'm a free market person. Scott's position is more like, well, when the way corporate laws are written, it helps corporations be able to gain power over people that then can be abused if the if the players are want to do that. 
And so um, corporate laws are therefore slanted uh, unjustly. How's that, Scott? Um, I think that's okay. I mean, more fundamental. (laughs) Nice try. Uh, No, I think that's all right. More fundamental is that the whole, I think I made this argument last time that the purpose, as I understand it, the purpose of a corporation is to minimize risk and maximize opportunity. So you get to disperse risk uh, and you get to, but, but that doesn't, that, that only goes in, in one direction, which is to maximize um, opportunity. And I think a lot of my criticism, Cole, comes back to you and your, I don't know why you keep thinking you're going to open a pizza parlor, but you and your pizza parlor um, that, you know, you, you might want to make sure you don't lose your house. That makes sense to me, right? When you open a small business that you don't lose assets, when you put yourself at risk in the market, I get it. I get it. But as that grows, uh, and I think my concern about corporations is as, as that grows, the risk becomes dispersed more and more and more to where I risk uh, a little bit in investing my money in Walmart, but not not much. But I, there's a big upside. And that big upside is the the part that concerns me, um, I guess, in the public square context. So, Cole, I'm I'm with you about the power, but I think the power comes from someplace, and it's that, bit that we found ways to almost um, nullify risk. It's not nullified, but it's not nearly as severe as the opportunities for uh, for wealth. Okay, and my reply to that has always made me pretty comfortable until Andy's episode. My reply, yeah, my reply to Scott right here, this Scott, that's a very concise way to to put it. And my reply has been, if my pizza shop is barely breaking even and I sell a pizza that hurts someone, they get like $70. But if Walmart hurts someone, their pockets are so deep that people can get millions of dollars in restitution and pain and suffering. So though any single investor's risk may be limited, the uh, the way that people can be helped when they are harmed is much greater. And that's always been my answer to that. And then we had Andy who said, yeah, let's talk about Johnson & Johnson, who created a separate literal company, transferred all its liability to it, and went out of business. Mm-hmm. That was not something that I had studied or knew much about. And so that's kind of where we're trying to figure things out. Yeah. yeah. So... So I guess, Jody, coming back to you, why did you decide, hearing all of this that we just said, why did you decide to move from a sole proprietor to a corporation? What do you feel you gained from it? And does do you feel that you're getting anything unfairly or, or unjustly? Yeah, so I would say that liability at the early end of a business is the secondary reason that people... Um, would would incorporate. Okay. And for me personally, the primary reason was I needed to convert to an S corp for income tax purposes, so I could pay myself a salary at that point, mm-hmm. and then some of you know that I would basically pay in the market to someone else that was doing my job. But then I could also be an, a passive shareholder um, and receive income as owner distributions from the company. So, and I think that that is one of the when. Really, there's there's two reasons that 
before liability that when I talk to a client about the reasons for moving their assets into a corporation, they can do it as sole proprietorship, but honestly, it's so much easier for them to organize everything and run an effective business by um, setting up the, the business as a separate entity and get all your bank accounts set up in that entity. And all, that way, you know what you're expensing is actually for that entity and you're not crisscrossing and in, in in your bank account does, isn't this big mixture of, of transactions that you're trying to go back to a CPA at the end of the year and straight now. It's a lot yeah. A lot more simple. So I would say before we get into the liability side of things, that those those are good reasons for um, utilizing a corporation. Um, the tax side of things can be beneficial sometimes, and sometimes not necessarily. Uh, sure. And, hey, you know what, Cole? I need to fly a flag here though, because I I haven't done this yet. I I haven't I haven't actually said what the socialist libertarian view on corporations is. I heard you say that. I heard you say socialist libertarian in the last podcast. And I, I was going to ask you, um, sitting, sitting next to the English guy or language guy, uh, is that an oxymoron? <laughs> no, no, it's, uh, well, it might be, it might be. And that's a tension between, there is a tension between the two. Um, but this, this is where the tension is. We actually, that, that perspective believes in the value of corporations, as long as the corporations are owned by the workers. And so in the case of an S corp, I don't know of any socialist libertarian who would have a problem with uh, with the escort. I think the problem comes when you trip over or LLC. I think the problem comes when you trip over to C Corp and okay. and publicly trading. And um, so I, it's not that it's not that it's important to me that everybody agrees with me. I, I don't care. But uh, I think the I think the opposite view of Cole's free market view is not that there is no such thing as a corporation. It's that corporations. Uh, that the workers share in the um, administration and ownership, but that's what happens in many uh, S corps. Uh, at least, at least some of the employees are our owners, and that's what happens oftentimes in in LLCs, as I understand it. Um, so, uh, just just because I've left that flag on the ground for a while, Cole, I thought I ought to pick it up and wave it just a little bit. So I guess if you were to look at companies out there that that you might invest in, would you be interested in companies that offer large employee stock plans where the employees own a majority of the right uh, the company? Yeah, those are those are closer to the ideal um, than uh, yeah than fully publicly traded. So right. you would. I want to make sure I understand, Scott. You see a difference between a company with a hundred shareholders, each of whom, well, with ten shareholders, each of whom owns ten percent, and a thousand shareholders, each of whom holds a little bitty percent. You see a, a difference in your political outlook on those two types. Is that no? My difference is in their relationship to the entity. Yes. And that comes about. Yeah, by I guess so, I guess some of it has to, could have to do with percentage. Um, you don't want anyone of the people who help fund the company to escape either profit or liability, right? The the part of you that is socialist wants them to have part of the profit, and the part of you that's and the other no, well, and just, also, the part of me that socialist libertarian wants there to be a check between profit and liability, right? So that there is not 
so that we're not just completely erasing one side and maximizing the other. Yeah. I thought Did I answer first, your question? Um, sort of. I'm going to press you a little bit. But at first, when he said socialist libertarian a few years ago, I thought he was making something up. But there <laughs> is actually a tiny fraction of people. There's who, only seven who, of us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Who? Uh, but so he's so Scott is not a feel the burn Bernie Sanders guy, but he's also certainly not a Rand Paul guy. He's somewhere in the middle. All right. Ralph Nader guy. Oh, boy. Noam Chomsky guy. Uh, I'm, I might have taken this off course a little bit, but I think what if we're trying to kind of go through, I, I do think there's a very large difference in America between the smallest of corporations to and and small business in general, which I really do think drives when I think of myself as a capitalist, that's the part of America that I love. Like, I think that's what we uh, there. So going back to my faith, I guess the um, I do believe that God made us to continue his creation. And so I think one of the ways that we do that is through starting new businesses, innovative ideas, things that really help the world be a better place, right? So that's the the glass half full look at, at the way I see it, you know, for small businesses to be able to change the world. And when I see people go into small business, I think there are, I think we leave out all of these people that are coming in with that in mind. I am, I am coming up with something because I'm an entrepreneur. I like to create, and I think I've found something that's going to make life better for people. And so I think what happens is as that thing grows, and I've seen this happen to actually, um, you know, just individuals out there, they, they, you get to a point where you want to keep pushing that vision, um, but you don't have the capital to do that. And so another reason for having that entity, and this is why I think people end up going to C corporations more, is to be able to get the capital to, to go to what the, the levels that they want their idea to become. They have to, to go through the C Corp channel um, because to be a publicly traded company, eventually you're going to have to be a C Corp most likely. And then you end up having to go to private equity. So that brings in these, you know, that's when that's when the idea really kind of gets away from the owners, right. in my opinion, and it it totally changes to something different. And so I actually, um, uh, I've got two works um, under review. They haven't been published yet, but are really about this very thing. Cole, you've reviewed some of them for me. It's the difference between uh, in, in higher education, you know, you have for-profit higher education um, and you have for-profit education that is uh, privately owned. Uh, so they control who the owners are. And then there's the publicly traded and you can see a difference in performance between those two groups. We oftentimes just talk about proprietary higher education or for-profit education as one big group. But my argument is we, we misunderstand those because if you pull them apart from one another, uh, the pub, the privately owned perform much better, significantly better than publicly traded. And I think the reason is because the question is, you said you have to be able to get the capital. Well, what does the person who's giving you the capital want? In the case, well, in the case of the, the privately owned corporations that run uh, higher education, they, they look after investors who want long-term, long-term return investment, Right. 
let me say that again. They want long-term return on investment. Yeah. Um, so they're they're fine with you investing uh, in in mutual funds that are retirement funds or things like that because they don't expect that tomorrow they're going to get a big paycheck in the in the mail. But on those publicly traded ones, you look at something like University of Phoenix or Grand Canyon University almost fell into this trap. When when you go after angel investors, angel investors are not thinking about 10 years, 20 years, 30 years down the line. They're thinking six months from now. And the only way that those private, uh, those, those publicly traded institutions were able to return on that investment was to, for example, cannibalize an entire campus, right? And sell it off. Or abuse their students as, uh, as is oftentimes, um, argued in the, in the market. Um, I know I saw your finger up there, Cole. It was this, it was this index finger, not his middle finger. Um, <laughs> so, so, so I, 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 I think I've empirically observed the very thing you're describing is what I'm trying to say. Uh, Jody, I think that there is, I think it is observable that there is a difference between the two because the question becomes, what do you said to be able to get capital? What do the people who give the capital expect? And Cole, it's not as simple as saying a return on investment. What kind of return? What length of return? What uh, do they have expectations um, of the uh, the values of that of that organization? That kind of thing. Yes, but neither of those arguments works for me. And uh, really and truly, the Johnson and Johnson argument works. At least it make, gives me pause. The reason that your private versus um, publicly traded private university argument doesn't get get to me is because the schools that you have named have failed. They failed in the marketplace because people saw right through it. It did take them a decade, but people said, I don't want a university whose bona fides are this suspect. And if their investors want short-term return that causes them to have wild advertising claims versus an established university, people weren't willing to willing after a pretty short time to take that risk anymore. And so I don't believe those people were abused. I believe they were adults making decisions that weren't very good. Well, part of the argument is that we were abused. We were abused as taxpayers because we subsidized those, which is uh, which, which Paul Bennett would have never allowed. That's right. That's right. <laughs> he just That's gave me right. a touchdown, a touchdown, uh, <laughs> touchdown arms, everybody. I, yeah, I just, that's, that's, well, and I think if you look at, so taking education and trying to look at it in public markets, um, I think those, those that you mentioned, they tried to, it was, it was, like the people that were creating that, what were they creating that for? I think there that was a mission for trying to take advantage of a certain point in time and do it in a really compact, uh, you know, go from A to Z in two years or three years. And um, I, I would say kind of arguing with Cole over here, I think they're investing in, in, in when you're going in to look at investing in something, whether it, whether it's something the private equity is investing in, or usually that's, there's going to be a ramp up period that's at least five to 10 years for a company to get to the level where then they can go public and have a business that can grow at the, the needed rate that will still attract investment at that, at that standpoint. So I don't know that I don't know that we'll see, you know, maybe the public markets aren't a good place for, for higher education. Maybe that's what that told us. Or 
um, or somebody goes out and tries again and does it a different way. Tries a different maybe, model. You yeah. know, I mean, I mean that that's, that to me stands in a very different s- section of the yeah. market than something like Theranos, where the only people who are victimized from Theranos are the people who are stupid enough to give their money to Theranos, right? In the long in the long term, that to me is a that's a fine illustration of how the the free market solves its own problems until somebody gets a blood test that says that they don't have cancer when they have cancer or vice versa. Right. Um, Well, I think, you know, since listening to y'all talk a little bit, I've been trying to think on this. um, And I think the, you know, the the pure capitalism is basically me and me and Cole are on an Island and my little part of the Island has pineapples and this has hogs and he kills the hogs and we, we can trade and both have pineapples and ham or whatever, <laughs> but I'm know, in already I'm in. <laughs> so that's kind of the natural. And then as we progress from there, I really think we cloud the waters so much. Right. And so we kind of get in our own way. I think we've created legal systems that are so difficult and government rules that are so hard that we have to have Andy Littles to come in and figure it out for us because if I get to a certain size, then I no longer know what my risk is out there because I don't know all of these laws. And so I, I do think there is a, and, and I don't know if that's something we can all agree on or not, but I think that that's, you know, from my standpoint, we just, we do, we do cloud the waters a whole lot. Um, and I think that uh, the, the ways that we overcome that though is, is people putting more into knowing that what you invest in, you are invested in maybe not only with your dollars, but with your values. <laughs> and, um, and so wherever we lie on the political spectrum, I really think it comes back to people at the top of these corporations making good decisions because they have some kind of value system in place. And then us as investors looking at that and making good decisions as well. I don't think we do that anymore in oh. our system. I'm going to be honest with you. I, I mean, uh, it's I, I'm just a bunch of hot air when it comes down to this. I don't keep track of which, you know, what the what the corporate values are of anybody my retirement funds are vested in. I just just make sure I get some cash back, man. I want to retire yeah. one day, right? And see, we don't. It, it, it becomes a question of bandwidth. How much how much time do we really have to uh, to watch this stuff? I want to say something, Jody. And Cole, uh, you've never heard me say this. Jody gave the best uh, theological uh, defense of capitalism I have ever heard. I've heard it one other time. Yes. No, a few minutes ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Yes. I think that is a brilliant and compelling argument that could potentially change my mind if I believed it could work. (laughs) Did you hear what he said was, listen, we were created in the image of God. And the first commandment to, to, to God's creation is go into the world, be fruitful and multiply. That doesn't mean have sex and have a bunch of babies, although fine, they did. But it's really about you act in the very same creative way that I have acted, right? You do something beautiful with what I've given you. You do something now. You make something beautiful. And I really do think that there is room to imagine um, a, a place where people of faith say, listen, 
I'm going to go out and I'm going to create some some jobs for some people who uh, didn't have jobs before or want to provide for their families. Uh, hey, I want to get out there and I want to create a product that I think could help people or could make life a little bit a little bit easier. And and I want to make I want to I want to take care of my family while I do that. To me, that is a compelling argument for capitalism out of Genesis one that I have a hard time. Uh, I would have a hard time arguing against. Well, and it's very it was I, I agree. And it was captured a bit by John, uh, John Locke, who said you come upon you come upon unmixed material and you mix your labor with it and you create something from that mixture and you now have a new item on the earth that you that was not there before because you mixed your ingenuity and labor with it. Uh, and, and to me, a lot of people find that kind of a bizarre way to talk about it, but I always thought it was refreshing whether you're talking about tilling land or hewing rock or putting together raw materials for anything, they were raw materials sitting there until you got there with your own ingenuity and hands and mixed your labor with it. And now you own part of that. I think that's an enlightenment thinker trying to capitalize on this idea. And, you know, Scott, um, I would also say, Nothing shuts that down more than someone standing there saying the moment you get something for having created something, we're taking a lot of it away. Well, I'm not interested in that. Uh, Well, I I think a lot of, frankly, this is not a slight towards you. I think a lot of people on the left never think about that. They think the capitalistic machine exists for me to decide how much money to take from it instead of the machine will shut down if I continue to take from it. Because what you're talking about I th- and what Jody said, I think is quite beautiful. Go forth and create. Yes. Let's not shut that down. Yeah. Well that, okay. That's a step. That's a step too far from where I was though, Cole, which is I'm saying there's a theological idea in the middle of creation. I don't know that that necessarily means that then we need to make sure that, that we're not, interrupting job creators so that they can go be um, um, living out Genesis one. I don't mean that. I don't think that's, I think that's a bridge too far. I but, think it's a lot closer than you might think. Well, I know you do. I know you do. I don't want, I don't want Cole to take us off yet into politics because I want to come back to, to living out your, living out your faith. Can you imagine a scenario where you have to think twice, or maybe if you're working with a client, where you have to think twice about what ends are being pursued here and how that's different from just creating. And how do you deal with that? Yes. I mean, I, I, I think there's all kinds of scenarios and I think um, it is a, I'm trying to think of the best way to, to describe the thoughts that I've had on that. Um, I think I, I have a wealth management firm now, right? And so I've had clients grow from having nothing to um, us doing our job, right? And helping them build something out of that. Um, and then, it, so internally, there's kind of the everyday, okay, how do we help do our part in, in trying to at least communicate this uh, desire for responsibility um, that is amongst all of our clients, knowing that some of our clients aren't Christians, some of our clients, you know, <laughs> there's, there's all kinds of different things. So a lot of that goes through my head on that side of things. And then also 
you know, when I look at business planning and where do we want to grow to, what do we want to become the bigger and fast, the bigger you get and the faster you get there, what does that turn into? And what are you giving up? Um, maybe not only for yourself, but for your mission when you take those steps. And so um, I do think that many entrepreneurs, business owners end up kind of selling the soul of their company, either sometimes because they're tired and they've taken it as far as they can, or sometimes because of the opportunity that is there financially. Um, and then I think sometimes they're, they're, they get to a certain level where, hey, private equity is our next step in, in making this and offering this to the world. And, um, and so I, and I think that's, but I guess your point, Scott, I went to, um, I, got, I had the privilege uh, about two months ago of going to um, a, a, a deal called the CEO Forum. And I don't know if y'all know Dr. Lytle, but he's very involved in the CEO Forum. And I didn't know what I was walking into, um, but I think a lot of what we're talking about sitting down with y'all today is kind of timely because I was so impressed in one knowing that there are all these CEOs while they may not be doing a perfect job out there. I think their intent for their business, their employees there is, is very good. And um, I got to sit next to a lady named Cheryl Bach Elder at lunch one day, and she was the uh, CEO of Pie Pies for like <laughs> 10 years. And now she's, I think she's the chairwoman of Chick-fil-A. And um, she was amazing. And I think what she, she kind of went up through the ranks really with this service leadership uh, mentality and wrote books on it. And um, so in her little circle, I think she's probably changed hundreds, if not thousands of lives in perspective of what the business world could look like from a Christian perspective. And so I, I do, I mean, what I, what, what I got from that is that yes, every one of those CEOs face decisions every day that um, maybe giving up some piece of themselves and their integrity, if they go this way or, um, they can go this way and keep that, but maybe they lose out on the returns or potentially even their jobs, you know, a couple of years down the road. And so that is a really tough position to be in when we think we have integrity and we have Christian values. It's an extremely tough position as we have maybe more CEOs that don't even have that. Mm. And you have to compete against them. I just don't want to slight people who say, you know what I do? I sell pizza and I make a lot of money doing it. And I want to do it really, really well. And I don't want to make people sick. And I want to treat my vendors fairly, but basically I'm going to make pizza and sell it because I have things to do with the money that I make. I just don't want to slight that CEO or that manager of pizza hut or whatever. I just, I don't think I don't mean I don't, to slide it. I, I, I think what I would want to do is how do you create a community of faith that helps each other call us to the angels of our better nature? You know what I'm saying? I, I don't think it's fair to slight that. But also, can we have a conversation about, I mean, I, I love I love what Rick does with the, with the CEO group and trying, that to me is an example of trying to create a community of faith 
around and, and, and pull, a, pull a group of people around an idea of calling us to the angel of our better nature to try and figure out how to, how to do this and how to glorify God. It, you don't have to do that. Clearly, you don't have to. Yeah. But if you choose to, I mean, imagine you're the pizza owner. Imagine you own a pizza shop and you decide, you know what, I'm going to do this. The right thing for me to do is X. And your competitor doesn't do that. And you lose in the market. If nothing else, could you have a community of faith around you that says, Cole, I know you lost, buddy. We think you made the right decision, man. We love you. We respect you. You know, we, we, uh, we honor the sacrifice that you made in that decision. I don't think a community of faith only has to say, hey, watch out that you don't do X, Y, or Z. I think even, even when we do make cho- uh, good choices and we suffer the consequences for them, a community of faith might be able to stand around and say, yeah, we get you, but we, we get what you're trying to do, man. We love you. Sure. For I, and I agree with all that. I, I, I really do. I, I just, I, I want to remove the taint that is associated with a person succeeding in business, even if that person is a a, a vowed atheist who is just trying to look at the margins and and earn money. If there's no deception involved and no laws are broken, I want to remove the taint from that. I guess. Oh, sure. I just want to tax the heck out of them. But sure, we'll take the taint off. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so so I'll I'll jump to my capitalist side of that. I think... (laughs) I think the there is what I like about our system is that I can go in and, and go and pursue that dollar. And if I have these values and this integrity, I can I can try to do that independently. Um, and I can also try to make an influence on the atheist business owner. And but but I can't control that person to make them do that. They they have to come to that decision on their own. What I do know about money is that capital goes where it's welcomed. And I think that what you're seeing in the so one of the things I haven't mentioned yet, we all we do manage a mutual fund. Um, it's called the Texas Fund. So I'll put it out there to all the listeners. Um, but part of our <laughs> part of our reasoning for starting the Texas Fund is looking for an area that we thought had actual growth and not just kind of built up growth by the Fed. And um, and so we said, hey, Texas has a lot of growth going on. This was back in 2013. And as we did, did the research on that, and we looked at the you know the the cost of doing business in different areas, it just more and more supported our idea that hey, Texas is a growing place, but it's actually a place where businesses are going to want to come um, because it's going to save them these dollars. And so I think there. We're going to look for the best opportunities for our businesses to succeed. And I don't think that you are giving up integrity by doing that. You are looking for the best opportunities for me and my employees and our clients. And and so um, I I don't remember who I I stole that quote. Capital goes where it's welcomed. And I don't remember where it came from. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. This episode is brought to you by the Texas Fund. Invest today <laughs> in the Texas Fund. Listen, I want in our last remaining minutes here, I wonder, Jody, do you have anything to say about the Johnson & Johnson case on point? I mean, it's an intriguing case. I, and hearing the, the trail of, you know, the, the legal 
ways that they're trying to utilize that system. Maneuvering. Yeah, maneuvering. Yeah, yeah, thank, yeah. You, thank you for the word. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it does, it feels shady. Um, and I don't, I don't like it. Um, one of my problems with the system, though, is that we are too litigious. <laughs> and the more we do to try to fix that problem, the more litigious we, of an environment we create. And I think part of the reason we are this litigious is because someone got millions of dollars for spilling hot coffee on their lap. Mm. There's kind of all this. That's fair. And then, but we also, you know, so my wife is probably a little bit closer to you, Scott. And, 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 and so when we have discussions about this, um, you know, anything like this, then we can get in arguments sometimes because there's this, this care for humans that, it does, you know, I think capitalism gets thrown out to, hey, you know, they just care about the dollar and don't care about the person and people are dying. And, um, and yeah, that's really hard to deal with and figure out. It is part of it. I don't know. I guess one of the things that I get back to is what dollar, there, there isn't really a dollar amount that fixes that problem. Sure. I I do think the long-term answer is that when companies mess up, they we we need to be more forward about that and say, hey, this this company has a black eye. Um, but what what is interesting to me, and so this you're hearing me go back and forth in this argument, is that I you would think that all of that news about Johnson and Johnson would make people more skeptical to use Johnson and Johnson products or to invest in Johnson and Johnson uh, in the environment we're in. I don't think it does. People don't trust it. And so, yeah, people don't trust the lawsuits because so many of them are exaggerated. Yeah. Yeah. Is that what you mean? Well, I, I don't really know. All, yeah. all I know is that there's, there's also, that come- I, yeah. This was what I was talking about bandwidth before. Do I really check to see if there's a J&J logo on my toothpaste or am I just going to buy the toothpaste because I always get the cheapest toothpaste? You know, right. it's, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. It's, it's, it can be overwhelming to try to manage this just by paying attention to where you spend your money, uh, where you invest your money. I mean, when you really get down to this, I, I, Cole, I mentioned this on the episode called Dirty Rotten Scoundrels when I was, um, you know, I said, I, I, you know, I'm not going to support such and such because they they air commercials on so-and-so's TV show. But then they also aired their commercials on Rachel Maddow. So what am I, am I really, they're playing, they're playing the long, the long game on me. And as a consumer, sometimes I do feel like I don't have the power or the bandwidth to exercise power. And, and I think that's, I think that's where some of our frustration as a public square comes from is that it just feels like if I'm going to fight this, it's all I'm going to do, man. And I got, yeah. I just right now, I just want to brush my teeth and go to work. And that is part of the, I think the frustration from the public square is we just, we, we have the power. Sure. We have the power. It's the power of the market, power of the purse, all that stuff. We got it, but man, can you yeah. just make that illegal and tell Johnson and Johnson to pay up? Cause I, that's what, I mean, I think that's where a lot of people are. 